0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to DamascusRoadOnline.com. Hey, go to Acts chapter one. And if you're a guest with us, thanks for being here. We are getting ready to start our fall series in the book of Acts. It'll be coming up there behind me. Uh, we're going to be in this book, the fifth book of the New Testament through thanksgiving up to thanksgiving we're going to celebrate advent together and then we're going to come back to this book in the new year so we're going to be in it for several months and i want to begin by introducing the book to you a little bit but first i'm going to read acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 that'll be our text today and if you have a bible why don't you grab it if you don't there should be a couple on the front desk please just take one and then follow along with behind all right Shall we stand? Yeah, let's do it. Stand. After that, you can rest your your sore quadriceps, all right? Acts chapter 1, verses 1, we're going to verse 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them to de- not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "'You heard from me, for John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now.'" So when they had come together, they asked him, "'Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?' And he said to them, "'It is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority.'" you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men by them in white robes, stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who has taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. God, as we get into this fantastic book, the history of the work of the Spirit, the spread of the gospel, the mission of the church, God, I pray that you will, by your grace and through your Holy Spirit, speak to, challenge, encourage, and grow this church. God, we believe that every word in Scripture is profitable and is for the building up of each man and woman. And God, that's what we're looking for here over the next months. We have prayed over uh, this direction. We have sought counsel. We have uh, collectively come to this place and feel like this is where you're leading this body. And so we pray, God, that you'll accomplish not just one, not just two, but all of the purposes that you have for us through it. God, I pray that uh, you'll do a miraculous work. And we're going to thank you in advance because we believe that when we ask in accordance with your will, you'll accomplish it. And so we thank you We trust you as we follow you in the good name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, go ahead and have a seat. So if you come to the book of Acts, in the first six words, you have a question. And that question, based on these words, in the first book, O Theophilus, what's the question that comes up? Yeah, what first book? In the first book, O Theophilus, Theophilus, Acts is a... The second part of a two-part story letter that's written by a medical doctor whose name is Luke and Luke is writing to a buddy of his by the name of Theophilus and Theophilus gets referred to in Luke as most excellent Theophilus now one of two things is true either Luke has just watched Bill and Ted's excellent adventure or (laughs) and probably more likely, Theophilus is a Roman governmental agent. He is uh, somebody who's a part of the Roman government. He is being identified this way positionally. And so Luke has a buddy who is a Roman government agent, and he has recently come to know and follow Jesus. And like many of you who God has saved not too long ago, you've got questions, and you have doubts, and you have Uh, This idea in the back of your head after a little bit of time. Did I make the right decision? Did I connect myself to something viable and Real or am I out on a limb with all the other crazy people that I see on TV late at night? Luke writes not one but two letters to Theophilus To confirm him and to deepen him in his faith the first book that he writes is Is the gospel of luke it's the third book in your new testament and he writes it and he identifies the reason that he intended to do it to introduce theophilus to the things that jesus began to do and teach he introduces theophilus to the centerpiece of the christian faith and you need to understand this not the centerpiece of the christian religion right not the centerpiece of the christian theology the centerpiece of christianity as a person his name is Jesus. He's the one that we want to introduce you here today. He's the one who has changed so many of our lives. And Luke introduces Theophilus to this guy named Jesus. And he says, this is who he is. This is what he's done. This is what he's taught. You come to the book of Acts. And what Luke is going to do is he's going to continue to introduce Theophilus to Jesus by introducing him To the history of the mission of the church to the history of the mission of the church now what's interesting about this book is that luke doesn't say that what i'm writing you is just a letter he doesn't say what i'm writing you is an interesting story he does say what i'm writing you is historical fact and in luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 if you're taking notes just jot it down he lets Theophilus know the process that he went through to verify the underpinnings, the historical reliability of the Christian church. I want you to hear what Luke says is true about the history of the Christian faith. He says that as I was researching to write you these two letters, I spoke to eyewitnesses who handed down this story. Now, what does that mean? It means that Luke lived in a time when there were individuals who knew, who heard, and who spent time with Jesus. And so Luke hit them up on his iPhone, very old iPhone, all right, 37 BC iPhone. And he says, hey, can we get together and I want you to tell me what this Jesus guy was like. I want you to tell me uh, how he acted and what he said and and what he liked to do. And, And Luke says, part of the story that I'm giving you is just eyewitness accounts of it. Number two, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of these things. In other words, I'm not the only one who has done this research. And I've talked to other individuals who did this research, and our accounts match. It's not as though Luke does an account and thinks that Jesus is a, is a six foot three guy with black hair and a goatee, and another guy says he was five foot two, cackled, and had a huge nose. They're the same. So Luke says, I talked to people who knew him, I talked to people who studied him. Those accounts match. Number three says, I myself investigated. Luke's a medical doctor. He's a bright individual. He's also a historian. And he puts in process all of his education. And he says, I evaluated whether or not these things were true based on the information that was available to me. And I'm presenting it to you having been convinced that it is in fact accurate. And then number four gives him the reason. That you may know with certainty the things that you have been taught you may know with certainty the things that you have been taught a couple things that I want you to draw out from this number one I want you to first understand that according to Luke Christianity is intellectually solvent you can believe it in your head with your full working mind one of the things that troubles me is that when I flip on the news or I read a blog, you get the idea, and I, I run into Christians who have kind of just cowtailed to this, that you kind of have to be a dummy to be a Christian. That you kind of just have this is how we say it. You know, I just I just have faith. Great. But do you have a brain? Luke believed, as a medical doctor, writing to a Roman official that you could trust Christianity, that you could be certain of the things that you've been taught. Now, the thing that's interesting about this book of Acts is that it is a historical document, and so what that means is that it's, it's descriptive. It's, it's a telling of things that occurred, and that's important for a couple reasons. I want to say this how Tim Keller said it. He says that because Acts is a historical document, we want to be certain To, on one hand, not get too close, and on another hand, not get too far. Let me tell you what I mean by that. A couple weeks ago, Tony and I went to Chicago, to Wrigleyville, for a community group's micro-conference. We went to this old, former Swedish Baptist church with all the ornate, beautiful architecture. Heard some great teachings, had a great time. Walked out of the building, took a left, walked down .6 miles, and I was standing in front of Wrigley Stadium. And so I did what anybody in 2014 does. I reached into my phone, got myself, reached into my pocket, got my cell phone, and took a picture. All right, and I put it on Instagram so that y'all could share in the uh, great stadium with a god awful, terrible team. All right, <clears throat> but <laughs> if I <laughs> someone goes, oh. <laughs> if I was sending you an email and letting you know. Uh, What Tony and I did, and as you're reading down through that email, I say, we went to the conference, we walked out of the building, we took a left, we walked 0.6 miles, and we were standing across the street from Wrigley Stadium. Would you think to yourself, Tim wants me to go to a church in Wrigleyville, walk out the door, take a left, go 0.6 miles, stand in front of Wrigley Stadium, and Instagram it? Would Would you think that? What would you think? Tim's telling me what happened. Descriptive. Acts is descriptive in that regard. It's this happened. It's this reliably happened. You can trust that it's happened. And so because of that, there are certain elements of Acts that we say that happened, but that it happened doesn't mean that it's happening. At the same time, we don't want to get too far because there's so much commonality And so much in the stew of the book of Acts that is still in the stew of the church of God. And we don't want to get too far. The Holy Spirit is still the Holy Spirit. The gospel is still the gospel. God's people are still God's people. We are still called and commissioned to the same work in our time and in our place. And so we want to be careful to say, I'm not going to take a descriptive and make it prescriptive. But I'm also not going to say that nothing in its prescriptive. Fair enough? Number three, in Luke's mind, Luke believes that the best response to his doubting friend's faith is to tell him the story of the church. I want you to think about that for a second. And this is something that we're going to talk about quite a bit over the coming weeks. If you were talking to somebody who was brand new a follower of Jesus and they had a lot of questions and a lot of doubts. How many of you would tell them the story of this church? You see, whenever you think a little bit about the confidence that Luke has in the church, it's a confidence that I think some of us have lost. Luke believed That if I tell you about this church, you're gonna wanna follow Jesus more. You're gonna believe him more deeply. You're gonna want to do what he's called you to do. If I just tell you about what the church is and who the church is and what God's doing in the church, you are going to want to be a Christian. And that is deeply, deeply convicting to me. Because I know a lot of people who, they know the story of the church and that's why they don't want to be a Christian. And so what we want to do here over the next coming weeks is we want to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit and say, God, would you make us the kind of church that if somebody had doubts, they could look at Damascus Road and say, I still have questions, but I can't explain that. Amen. Amen. That's what we're shooting for here. And that's what Luke believed. Theophilus, a thinking, bright, influential, probably affluent man, if I tell you the story of the church, you'll want to follow Jesus. And that's what the book of Acts is. Luke then takes the gospel of Luke, explains what Jesus began to do, takes the book of Acts, and explains what he continues to do through the people that he has saved. And what I want to do today is I want to give you three points that i think properly frame for us the rest of the book of acts properly frame for us the rest of the book of acts now i would encourage you to start taking notes you got a space on your bulletin i don't want you to take my word for it i want you to go home and you can study this throughout the week you can study this in your community group but this is a great on-ramp for you to begin to study through the book of Acts with us as we're doing in this corporate gathering. And so on the back of your bulletin, there's a space, if you're up for it, take these notes down, point one, to frame up the book of Acts. Number one, God has used and does use normal people to fulfill his plans. God does use and God has used normal people to fulfill his plan. John Stott makes an interesting point about Christianity. He says that Christianity is the only faith in which the founder accomplished his entire ministry in his lifetime. Let me say it to you the other way. Lots of times when you read down through world religions, you'll see that there was a prominent figure and they were doing their thing and they were teaching and living and influencing and then what happened to them? They died. It doesn't mean that all the beliefs went with, but they left work undone. John Stott says that Christianity is unique in that if you go to the back office of Jesus' business place, you don't find a bunch of projects undone. It's not as though Jesus was surprised by his end. What that tells you about Jesus is that Jesus knew exactly how much time he had and came for specific purposes that when they were accomplished what did he do he left when they were accomplished he left and so the story of the founder of Christianity is that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he called disciples to himself, that he preached of the kingdom and himself as the Messiah, that he was crucified on a cross, that he rose again bodily three days later, that he discipled the apostles for 40 days, and then he went home. Just like he planned. Just like he planned. Jesus was always entirely in control of his time on earth. Jesus wasn't a victim. Jesus wasn't caught up in a political movement. Jesus is God and came here to earth to institute and install his kingdom in normal people so that it could go to the ends of the earth. That's what he did. And the beautiful thing is, about jesus being so deliberate and his vision being so pronounced is that we see exactly what he intended to do and what he intended to do was take 11 completely normal people to change the entire world that's what he intended to do let me say it to you this way he didn't pick Especially wealthy, especially educated, especially intelligent, especially influential people. He chose fishermen and tax collectors and farmers. He chose blue-collar cats. He chose East Madison people to he chose. And the thing that's so wonderful to me about this is that I hear regularly that people don't feel adequate. To be used by God. And yet, if God came, knew how long He had, did exactly what He intended to do, and we ended up with Peter, God might be able to use you. <laughs> God may have a plan for you that isn't by accident, but's exactly as God intended in His sovereignty to use you to change your world for His glory. God uses. Normal people, average Joes and Smoes to change the world and fulfill his plan. I want you to think about this a little bit further with me. God chose average Joes and he entrusted them with what? With the message of the gospel. I want you to think about about this. Jesus, in in essence, takes the chips of the kingdom and puts them all on normal people. I want you to think about the amount of trust that he put in these 11 guys. And I want you to think about what would have happened if he had been wrong. What if Peter would have gotten discouraged and quit? What if John would have gotten afraid and said, I'm not doing it? What if James would have gotten apathetic? Man, I got a lot of stuff going on. This isn't worth it. I'm seeing my pals get killed. I, uh, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pick something else. What would have happened? I can tell you what wouldn't have happened. This. And you. And your faith in God. The gospel would have died in the discouragement, fear, and apathy of those first 11 normal Joes. Jesus took the sovereign, predestined plan of God and handed it to a couple fishermen in the assumption that what he had taught them and who he was would be enough to compel them to steward that message aggressively and faithfully. Jesus seemed to believe that anybody who was introduced to him at that intimate of a level would never get apathetic. They would know what was at stake, and they would give their entire lives to the very end, to the proclamation of that message, because they would know if they failed to do so, people would die and spend an eternity apart from God. I think that's the assumption of Jesus. That's the only plausible conclusion for God to spend 40 days training a couple fishermen, a tax collector, and some blue-collar Joes, and then split. That he believed that he was compelling enough for them to never give up, for them to never stop, for them to faithfully steward the message of the gospel. And this is an important question then for us. Has that plan changed? You need to understand that it's not, like, it's not like Jesus intended to get some better candidates, but they wouldn't go along with it. <laughs> These were Jesus' first picks. This was plan A, and there was no plan B. There was no, if you guys screw this up, I'll just. I want you to understand something, guys that same plan is today and instead of some fishermen it's bus drivers salesmen construction workers engineers it's you and me and what happens to the furtherance of the gospel in madison if you and i get discouraged and we quit what happens to the furtherance of the gospel if you and i get afraid and we refuse to be bold what happens To the furtherance of the gospel on the east side of Madison and beyond, if you and I get apathetic because of how busy we are, the same thing that would have happened if Peter, James and Paul had. There are people within the networks of our relationships that if we fail to understand that The plan A, the only plan that God has ever instituted and furthered is you and me, normal Joes. If we fail to understand that, there are people in Madison who are going to draw their last breath, stand before God, and be separated from Him for all eternity. That's what's at stake. God did and does use normal Joes and Janes to further his plans and purposes for his glory. God did and does these people like you and me to make sure that people know who his son is and that he loves them and that he wants a relationship with them and that he's not angry, but that he's near and present and ready to save them. What does the Bible say? How are people gonna know if no one goes how are people gonna hear if no one tells that's talking to me and you the book of Acts is the historical document delineating the faithfulness of some fishermen tax collectors and normal people who said we can't stop we won't stop there's too much at stake and I'm discouraged and I'm afraid and I'm busy but the gospel is bigger than all of that. I for sure should get an amen right there. I know I haven't been preaching for a couple weeks, but you know. Yeah. In order to understand the book of Acts, you've got to understand that everything that happens is from normal, overwhelmed people saying, there's too much at stake. We're going to follow God We're going to proclaim the gospel. There is no plan B and we know that. Number two. They were and we are given three things. Acts 1 and verse 8. Acts 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. The first thing that he gives these individuals that he articulates, you are my one and only plan. The first thing that he gives them is a location. A location to start. And where is that location? It's Jerusalem, which also happened to be what? Where they were standing. Right? It also happened to be exactly where they were. And I love this about the grace of God. Lots of us, we have the idea that if we're going to be missionaries, what that means is that we should raise some money, we should quit our job and raise some more money, and we should find a far-off place, and we should plan to leave all of our friends and leave all of our family and dedicate our lives to a place and to a people, and then we will be missionaries. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus says, I'm going to give you a place to start. And as they go over to the board where the map is, they're like, where where do you want us to go? He says, right there. Right where? No, right there, where you're standing. (sighs) Right exactly where you are. The story of Acts is of a group of normal Joes and Janes, who God says, you are my one and only plan for the furtherance of the gospel, and I want you to start exactly where you're standing in your neighborhoods, in your relationships, in your workplace, with your family, with the people that you currently know, tell them about Jesus. Not go be a missionary. You are a missionary. You are a missionary. And you know people who don't know Jesus. Start where you are. God gifts the disciples, with a starting place. Mission can be overwhelming, can't it? Man, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Start exactly where you are with exactly who you know right now. Why? Because there's too much at stake. Because there's too much at stake and there is no alternative plan. Next, he gives them a commission. You will be my witnesses. The great commission, which we find in Matthew chapter 28, is very important. But there's some misunderstanding around it. This commission has inherent in it, going. Going. How, did I say that Wisconsin enough? Okay. And in going, listen to me, is acting, not believing. Listen to me, please. The commission and going is acting, not just believing. I know lots of Christians who believe the Great Commission. But they don't go. (laughs) There's no activity. There's no movement. Sometimes the movement is from here to there. Sometimes the movement is across the street. Sometimes the movement is just getting a cup of coffee with. But you cannot obey God and be a missional church through believing without acting. I am uh, as much of a theology nerd as anyone in this room. I read, for enjoyment, theological books. It's, it's pitiful. I'm getting counseling, all right? Um, but I am entirely certain that when I stand before God, he is not going to say, give me your thoughts on all millennialism. King James Bible what do you think God doesn't care what you believe about some of the peripheral secondary and name theological arguments he cares whether or not you're active where you are because there's no plan B he cares whether or not you love your neighborhood and your family and your friends and your co-workers enough for your mouth to be open not your brain to be theologically accurate. Now, if you've gone to this church for any amount of time, you know that we believe that we want to be theologically stout. But we only want to be theologically stout so we aren't sitting on our blessed assurance all the time. Because anybody who is theologically stout knows that at a certain point you put the the book down and you go into the neighborhood. You don't say, well, I believe the right things. You proclaim the gospel to real people in real time and in real places because the stakes are high, because you start where you are, and because there is no plan B. The last thing that we're given, and the best thing that we're given, first, a place to start, second, a commission to go, third, a Holy Spirit to empower I want you to notice something. Acts 2, this is is a really novel idea. Acts 2 happens after Acts 1. What happens in Acts 1? Jesus says, I commission you to go. What happens in Acts 2? The church gets the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus kind of says this. I'll give you what you need after you obey me and go. You know why some of you don't have, some of us don't have, a profound experience with the Holy Spirit? Because you aren't doing anything. That's why. Because you aren't doing anything. Some of you say, "Man, I don't, I don't know how, how to give the gospel." Have you ever tried? I don't know how to serve my neighbor. Have you ever intended? Jesus says, here's the deal. You start where you are. I'll give you what you need. There's no plan B. You start where you are. I'll give you what you need. There's no plan B. Part of the reason the book of Acts is so miraculous is very simply because normal people took Jesus at his word. Part of the thing that would make Damascus Road the kind of church that you would use as collateral evidence to somebody who had doubts is just if normal people took Jesus at his word. Listen, this isn't complicated. This isn't obtuse. Is Jesus who he said he was? What are you gonna do about it? What am I gonna do about it? And what kind of church... Is God going to create as we obey him and he empowers us on the way? There is no plan B. There is no plan B. Now what's interesting about this is that I see the disciples have some emotionally negative responses to this that I think still happen. Two things that keep us from mission. Two things that keep us from mission that I think are really, really important for us to talk about. The first is in Acts chapter 1 and verse... Six and seven. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The first thing that I think keeps us from mission is worrying about outcomes. Worrying about outcomes. What are the disciples? really doing here jesus was crucified on a cross he is raised bodily he spends 40 days discipling them can you imagine 40 days being discipled by a nail pierced hand of jesus and right as he's about to put a period on the end of their time together they say so this is going to work out right Like, you're going to come back and we're on the winning side, right? They've done this before. Is is this the time where your kingdom's going to come and we're going to get to be right? And what does Jesus say to them? Yours is not to know. (laughs) The times and the seasons. Don't worry about the future. Worry about what? Starting right here, right now. If I were to say to you, tell me some of the reasons that you have a hard time giving the gospel. Don't don't give me the whole Francis of Assisi. Like, I just live the gospel. Nonsense. The gospel is a spoken message. So live it and speak it. If I were going to say, this week, I want you to give the gospel to someone, like an actual person, face-to-face, verbally. Got to put all these clarifiers on it, right? Well, put it on Facebook. Stop it. Okay? What are the things that would, would creep up in your heart? Let me tell you some of the things that would creep up in mind. I don't want them to think that I'm a far right-wing, goofy conservative here in Madison. I don't want them to think that I'm a racist and a bigot and a... I don't, I don't want that. I don't want them to think that I'm foolish or unintelligent. I don't want my reputation to be shot. I mean, I go to these places. I'm, I'm a regular at a couple of these places. I don't want to be avoided because I'm that guy. I don't want to mess it up I mean it's an important message I don't want to say the wrong thing like I should have turned left but I turned right and then no I don't want them to reject me I don't want them to mock me what are all of those things outcomes in the future aren't they you know what I'm doing this is gonna go well right And what does Jesus say? It's not for you to know. Not for you to know. God does not require you to dictate outcomes. He requires you to open your mouth and I love, love, love the fact that Luke put this in this book because it happens to me all the time doesn't it to you? Hey, you know, oh. <clears throat> packers, let's talk about the Packers. Right? Fear. Outcomes, future. And look at what Jesus says. I, I, this is just a beautiful way for. It is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Gonna trust the faithfulness, the sovereignty, the authority of the Father and obey him because you start here and there is no plan B? Or are you gonna try to do, like I try to do, what the disciples tried to do, hedge your bet? Do you know what happens to people who always hedge their bet? They don't what? Bet. The enemy will give you every reason in the world to worry about the future, to worry about the outcome. Hey, you know, they might. Hey, this could. What if you don't? What if it doesn't? What if they say? What if you're known as? What if? What if? What if? What if? There is no plan B. There's too much at stake. We trust the authority of the Father. Well, I trust the authority of the Father. The first thing that keeps us from mission is worrying about outcomes Acts chapter 1 and verse 10 is the second. And while they were, what's the next word? Gazing. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way that you saw him go into heaven. We're getting short on time, but let me frame up this story for you a little bit. Jesus is crucified, he rises again, he spends 40 days training and discipling the apostles, and then as he's kind of putting the finishing touches on it, scripture says that he begins to go up into heaven, right? I mean, picture this, and a cloud kind of catches him up and just takes him up into heaven. And the disciples are doing this. And so as they're standing there gazing, God sends two angels. <laughs> and this is what they say. What are you looking at? Uh, well, I just feel like something big's about to happen. And what do the angels say? That guy who went up will come back, but until then... Let's go. How many of you guys watched college football yesterday? A couple of you. Easy with the Ohio State. I know they lost, all right? Golly. <laughs> I'm like, how many of you guys have leather shoes? You mean like the ball they play with when Ohio State lost? <laughs> Whatever, all right? Every time you watch a game, you see the coach doing the same thing. What's he doing? Come on, come on, come on. That's what the angels do. Here's, what, here's what's going on. The disciples are waiting for something to happen before they get busy. And so God sends two angels. Let's go. He's gone. He'll be back, but he's gone. Let's get busy. Let's get busy. And I, I'm, I have a little bit of a imagination. So I, I can picture Peter with his mouth gaping. And he does one of these. <laughs> like stuck between the glowing guy and... What are you looking at? What? What? Why are you glowing? <laughs> right, And what does the angel say? There's nothing else that's going to happen. It's time to get busy. Can can I tell you something? You have everything you're going to get. You've had every experience you need. You've been told everything you need to be told. You got the book. You got the spirit. You got the commission. You got the place to start. Let's go. Let's get busy. Yeah, but what if I feel like I need? You don't. But if this, you don't. But I need to get, you don't. You got a place to start. You got a commission to go. You got the spirit to empower. God uses normal people. There is no plan B. Last week, we had a perfect example. Perfect example. How many of you guys enjoyed Charlie? Charlie's a good dude, man. I said to Charlie, hey, what do you want to preach? And I promise you this is what he says. He goes, I want to preach the gospel, and I want to do it by using my story. And it was amazing because Charlie, in a very (laughs) spread out kind of way, told his story. And I had people come up to me crying. You know why? Because the work of God in a human being is a powerful thing. And so you say, okay, I got a location. Okay, I get no plan B. I get Holy Spirit. Now what? Tell your story. Tell your story. You don't need a definition for substitutionary atonement. You don't need to know whether or not God uh, preordained the elect. Or you, blah, blah, blah. you have your story. There is no plan B. Damascus Road, I want to be the kind of church that when someone says, I have doubt, people say, Go to Damascus Road. Won't answer all your questions, but it'll create some new ones. (laughs) (laughs) But the only way that by God's grace that happens is if we stop gazing. We stop worrying about outcomes. We stop believing that somebody else will do it and we need something else and we start understanding that there is no plan B. That God has saved the people here in Madison. We aren't the only ones, but that every one of us needs to be aggressively busy and sharing our story of how God saved us because the stakes are eternally high. Because the stakes are eternally high stand with me if you would a couple ways that i'd like for you to think about responding the first is we'll have some people in the back who maybe you're in here today and you have questions maybe you're like theophilus right you've got questions you have doubts we would love to talk to you we'd love to talk to you there'll be people in the back to pray for you i'm going to be up here uh afterwards i love 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 to chat with you if you got other things going on that you Want some prayer or some encouragement, the back left, your right, my left would be the place to do it. If you're a follower of Jesus, we remind ourselves weekly that God has saved us through Jesus, his blood and body on the cross. And so we take communion together. I'd invite you to do that. And then lastly, we sing. We kind of punctuate our time together by praising God as a family. And so I'd invite you to do any of those things. Pray with me if you would. God, I thank you for your grace. You saved me. Not worthy, not searching, not interested. You intersected this normal Joe's life. You gave me a transcendent commission. You gave me a place to start and you put your Holy Spirit inside of me. God, forgive me for the times that I'm gazing. Forgive me for the times that I'm worried about outcomes. Forgive me for the times that I think somebody else will do it. Or somebody else could do it better. Or I need something else. You gave me a story. Gave me a place to start. The stakes are too high, God. There is no plan B. It's us. It's your spirit indwelling your people in a time and place for the purposes of your glory. So God, would you energize our hearts for people who are far from you. Break our hearts and give us a supernatural boldness to see them saved by a glorious savior who loves them more than anyone ever has or will. God, would you accomplish these things? Make us that kind of church for your glory and for our joy in the name of Jesus.